Welcome to the Restoration Living Podcast with our host, military chaplain and spiritual care director, James Johnson. With so many voices in this world fighting for our attention, it's easy to believe that we aren't good enough, that our past will always haunt us, and that we will never measure up. But the voice of God is telling us that we can live a life of restoration in Him. Our Heavenly Father doesn't want us to let our past decisions determine our present peace. Instead, He wants us to find that life of restoration in Him. So grab your Bibles and join us as we dig into God's Word to discover timeless truths and proper application for our lives today. Thank you for joining us for another Restoration Living podcast, and I'm so thankful you are taking time out of your day to spend it with us. We have been really enjoying this study through the book of Revelation. I hope you have too, as we have going through each of the symbolic apocalyptic passages to understand exactly what the writer and, and, and the message giver intended for their day. We've talked about this before, and I probably, you're going to get, you have know, said it so many times, you're probably going to get tired of it, that the Bible was written for us. It was not written to us. So we must work to understand it in light of the way it was written by its author in the time it was written to the people it was intended to be written to. It, in the same way that I would not pick up a letter that was written a hundred years ago that describes an incoming hurricane, I would not go buy supplies and stock up on water and board up the windows and take time off work for the hurricane that's coming. I would say, no, this letter was written. It talks about something that happened, but it happened in the past. It was written to a different person, not to me, even if I could benefit from the things in the letter. The same thing is true of Scripture, that Scripture was written for us. It was not written to us, and the book of Revelation is no exception. It is an apocalypse, and so we're going to read it as apocalyptic literature and follow those rules. So when we left off last time, we had finished seeing how the seven seals of the scroll represent a land deed, that it is the land deed that God holds, God the Father holds in his right hand, so it's showing authority. It has seven seals, which means that it has you have to have full total authority to open it, and it has writing on the inside and the outside, and it's a sealed scroll, so that let us know that it is a land deed, and the only land agreement God has ever made with people is the promised land. And so we saw how just as the promise of the Old Covenant was conditional, in the Old Covenant, in the Mosaic Covenant specifically, God gave the people of Israel three things. He gave them the promised land, He gave them unity as a people, and He gave them the sacrificial system to atone for their sins. And so we're seeing how God is removing those things, but He, being a good Father, is replacing it with something better. A philosopher, Bible teacher I heard one time said this. He said that God is like the father who, because of his children's disobedience, told them they had to go to bed right after dinner, but in his loving kindness, pushed dinner back by three hours so that the child could still stay up late. And so God in his justice holds to his word. 
and in his grace and mercy gives us what we don't deserve and saves us from the punishment we do deserve. And so that's what we're seeing. The old covenant, the Mosaic covenant, is passed away. It has become obsolete. We no longer need it. God has replaced it with something better. So the land deed of Israel is opened by Jesus, and each of the seven seals opens up something that we see happen in heaven that takes place on earth. It's fantastic imagery that represents earthly reality. That's what an apocalypse does. And so as we walked through those seven seals, we saw how God was going to use the emperor Nero through the Jewish revolt to bring the siege on Jerusalem, to destroy Jerusalem and the temple, and to take away the land of Israel from the Israelites. Now, the seventh seal creates a, a, a opportunity for another set of seven. Out of each set, another set will come. And it's a repeat, it's a cycle, but it does a different thing. So the first seven seals showed us how God was going to remove the land from the people of Israel and replace it with the whole world is now where God's kingdom is, not just in one nation. God has his church throughout the whole world. And we are going to see that even more clearly as we continue on in our Bible study. So if you've got your Bibles, let's pick up where we left off at the end of the seven seals. And we saw how out of the seals, we ended up looking at the seven trumpets. That after the seven seals are open. You know, we, we saw how John heard that there was going to be 12,000 saved from this time of tribulation from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, which made 144,000. But then, God, John, well, that was what John heard, but what he saw was people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And after that, they were given the robe, and then the, the seventh seal, there was silence and for half an hour, and out of that seventh seal, comes seven trumpets. And so we pick up in chapter 8 in verse 2. Revelation chapter 8 starting in verse 2. That's where we left off. Let's pick up there. It says, I saw seven angels who stand before God and they were given seven trumpets. Now, following this motif, this theme of the three parts of the Mosaic Covenant, we can logically see how this symbolism represents the unity of the people of Israel. In Numbers chapter 10, God instructs Moses to make two silver trumpets, that those two trumpets were designed to lead the people in unity, whether they were gathering them together for a festival or a community event or leading them into battle. The goal was to keep the people united, orchestrated, and together. And these seven trumpets, now instead of two silver trumpets, God's going to use seven because seven is the number of fullness, of perfect, of God's perfect fullness, 100%. And we're going to see how God's going to use these seven trumpets to bring about things that will scatter the people of Israel, to take away their unity as a nation. So as we go through this, we're going to have to pay attention to each of the things that God wants to do during the time of John and the people that are receiving this letter. So let's keep going. 
Verse 3, Then another angel with a gold incense burner came and stood at the altar. A great amount of incense was given to him to mix with the prayers of God's people as an offering on the gold altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense mixed with the prayers of God's holy people ascended up to God from the altar where the angel had poured them out. Then the angel filled the incense burner with fire from the altar and threw it down upon the earth, and thunder crashed, lightning flashed, and there was a terrible earthquake. Now I know we covered this already, but we're retracing our steps just a little bit to, to catch up, to make sure we're all on the same page. These are symbols, right? Things happening in heaven that show us what's really going to happen on earth. And what we see is John is connecting the action in the heavenly temple to what's going to happen on earth. In the temple, the priest would gather in, they would get a coal from a fire, they would put incense on top of it, and it would burn, and the, and the smoke of the incense would fill the temple, and it was a reminder of the prayers of the people going up to God, and God would receive the people's prayer, and we see that prayer itself is a sacrifice to God. That's the goal that God receives the prayers of his people. And that's what the incense is supposed to symbolize in the temple. But as the prayers are mixed up and given to God, then the, the, the incense burner is emptied and then it's refilled with fire from the altar. And the fire of the altar represents God's cleansing that whenever somebody would burn the animal on an altar or pour out something on the altar, whether it's a grain offering or a bread offering, whatever, the fire purifies and cleanses. So this fire that is being thrown down on the earth is meant to purify and cleanse the earth. Why? Because both Israel and as we'll see as we go through, Rome has been pagan and idolatrous. And God is going to bring judgment on both Israel and Rome in this whole shebang. And that's why it says that they threw it down upon the earth, the angel did, and thunder crashed, lightning flashed, and there's a terrible earthquake. Whenever we see these symbols, this isn't pointing to a literal earthquake. A lot of people try to look and, and find the signs of the times and see there's earthquakes all over the world increasing. There's, there's hurricanes and storms. And you, you, you're, they miss the point. They are trying to take literally the figurative language. It would be like the story I've, I've often told of my German exchange student friend in high school who when I came in on a rainy Florida day said, man, it's raining cats and dogs outside. He threw his book back down and ran to the window to watch cats and dogs falling from the sky. That's not the point. The point is it's figurative. So we have to take it figuratively. Earthquakes symbolize the changing of what's going on in the world, that there are all of the changing of the power in, so that the heavens represent authorities, but the earthquake represents the changing atmosphere of what's going on. You see, up until this point, and yes, the Pax Romana would go on far after 70 AD on a global scale, but the peace that had been known in the land of Israel is now going away. So it doesn't mean peace in the Roman Empire as a whole. We're focused on the writer and the church and on Israel specifically. So we're looking at the land of Israel and the people of Israel. This earthquake is happening, showing the massive change. Just like an earthquake shakes the ground and tears down buildings and, and displaces people. 
this is what is happening here in Israel and how it's going to go from a long period of peace into a massive time of tribulation. You see, up until this point in history, until Nero, the Jews had never been persecuted by Rome. By and large, as long as they paid their taxes, they were allowed to practice their faith. But under Nero, the Jews actually become persecuted. It starts with the Christians, but Nero actually began to persecute the Jews as well because of their rebellion. And so the Jews will now no longer be exempt from all of the all of the Roman Hellenistic idolatrous practices. What we actually see when the Emperor Titus conquers Jerusalem and destroys the temple, he sets up a statue to Zeus in the temple in the Holy of Holies and offers a pagan sacrifice to him in the temple. I mean, this is a massive shift from the peace that Israel had experienced. So let's keep going. Verse 6, Then the seven angels with the seven trumpets prepared to blow their mighty blasts. The first angel blew his trumpet, and hail and fire mixed with blood were thrown down on the earth. One third of the earth was set on fire, one third of the trees were burned, and all the green grass was burned. Now this is once again where people want so fast to move into literal reading. They'll say, oh, well, some of these other things are symbols, but this is literal. There will be a literal earthquake. There will be literally one-third of the earth set on fire, literally one-third of the trees burned, and literally all the green grass will be burned. That's not the way this is meant to be read. It's symbolism. Whenever you see numbers in an apocalypse, most Jewish writings, but especially in an apocalypse, numbers have meaning. And so just as, you know, there were 12, um, you know, 12... Um, tribes of Israel, you know, with, with a thousand, a thousand symbolizes a massive, unimaginable uh, amount. It's not a literal 144,000. The same thing is true here. One third has a symbolic meaning. One plus three, anytime you see one added to three in Jewish numerology, always represents the fulfillment of God's plan. When God has a plan or God has will that is being fulfilled, one plus three is what that number symbolizes. So when we see a third of the earth set on fire, that doesn't literally mean one third of the entire globe is going to be set on fire. It means that the earth, as the, the reader of the apocalypse and the writer of the apocalypse understood it, which is the Roman Empire, it means that, that there will be a massive amount of fire, a massive amount of trees being burned, a massive amount of grass being burned. These all symbolize the, the things that are going on that give normalcy. When, when life is allowed to grow as normal, the earth is fine. The trees grow, the grass grows green, it, it, it's normal. But this is unrest, this is unsettling, this goes hand in hand with the earthquake and the fire. Now, it says that hail and fire mixed with blood were thrown down on the earth. We're going to continue to see connections to the Old Testament. Where in the Old Testament was there a plague of fire and hail? This is a, a throwback to the book of Exodus. When God pulled the people out of Egypt, he used, a, he used plagues. And what the plagues did was the plagues showed the Egyptians and the Israelites that God, Yahweh, was far superior over their pagan gods, that their pagan gods were nothing compared to the true God, the one true God of Yahweh. And so as we see the perspective of heaven, 
John is seeing the world, the the Roman Empire, and and the the death is is fire mixed with blood. So this is a plague reference, but it's also what they would see. They they would have seen tons of them and able to make the connection not to a literal fire and hail burning from the sky, but warfare and bloodshed and the unrest that was removed, the peace that they enjoyed. Both the Christians and the Jews are thrown into persecution. One and three represent the fulfillment of God's will on the earth. And so the fulfillment of God's will is to bring this terror as judgment on Israel and on Rome. So just as the trumpets were supposed to draw the people together, now the trumpets are scattering the people. The ten plagues that God set on Egypt let the Hebrews go free. These are seven trumpets instead of ten. But seven is the number of fullness. And so God is going to execute his will in its fullness to scatter the people rather than unite them. And so as we look at this, that's what we're going to see. So if you want to go back and read about all the plagues that we're going to be referring to, that's in the book of Exodus chapter 9. So let's keep going. So there's the plague of fire and hail. What happens next? Verse 8, when the second angel blew his trumpet, a great mountain of fire was thrown into the sea. One-third of the water in the sea became blood. One-third of the living things in the sea died, and one-third of the ships on the sea were destroyed. This is a connection to when God turned the river Nile River into blood, and all of the living things that were in the Nile died. Well, once again, we see one-third. One plus three represents the accomplishment of God's will. God's divine will is going to be to utilize the absolute terror and struggle and destruction coming on Israel at the hands of the Roman Empire during the Jewish revolt to absolutely destroy their sense of normalcy and the the, the you know water is not literally turning to blood but you can only imagine as they see the bloodshed that it would feel like that 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 just as the you know river nile turned bloody and turned into blood and everything died now they're seeing death and destruction all around them because of the siege and the military conquest it's interesting to note at this point um, the the Roman military actually got involved in the Jewish revolt and they came and and they destroyed the ships in the um, in the, the area around Israel. So while this is not meant to be taken literally, we do see connections. This is this is fantastical imagery. And so as we see, man, several, several people in, in, in modern day Tel Aviv on Israel's Mediterranean coast, there was a Roman military occupation that happened not just in Jerusalem, but also on the coastline of Israel. So we see how just as God used plagues to show his fullness to the nation of Egypt. He's doing plagues again to show Israel that reminder. We've got time. Let's keep going. Verse 10. Then the third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from the sky, burning like a torch. It fell on one-third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star was bitterness, and it made one-third of the water bitter, and many people died from drinking the bitter water. Now, this is not a literal star, okay? If this happened, it would create another ice age. Right? That's what we believe happened, that, that at the, the process of the flood and you know, asteroids and stuff hitting the planet caused ice ages to happen. That's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about a literal 
massive star. When things fall from the heavens, it represents a falling from authority, that, that the stars were where the authorities of the heavens lived. And we see this massive star fall. I mean, there's a massive authority shift happening in the world that makes the water bitter. Well, water is the source of life and it's going to make life bitter. One of the things that began to happen at this point is now when when things went along, everything worked out. Pilate worked with the religious leaders and brought peace. But after the death of Pilate, there was a, a, a period of crisis. There were three tetrarchs that ruled over the, the Roman province of Judea, which was where Israel was. And it happened until King Herod Agrippa II. He was the leader at the time of the first Jewish revolt, and he encouraged the Jews to give in to the Roman demands. And as a result, the Jews kicked him out. And so we see this massive change in leadership. There's no longer a peace that the Jews are revolting and trying to lead themselves. And there's, there's bitterness that is going on. Water is the source of life. And so while there's not an Egyptian plague, we do see a connection back to Numbers chapter 5 where bitter waters would have been understood in Jewish culture. When a woman was accused of adultery in the law of Moses, that uh, she would drink bitter water. And if it, if it killed her, then, you know, um, excuse me, if it killed her or caused her to have a reaction, they would know she was unfaithful. But if she drank the water and nothing happened, they would know that she had not been unfaithful to her husband. And so this is a judgment on Israel's unfaithfulness that when they drink the bitter waters, it's going to kill them because they have been unfaithful to God. That, that, that once again, there's this connection all throughout books like Ezekiel and Jeremiah, where Israel is seen as the adulterous wife to God. Not because God wants to actually physically be intimate with the people of Israel. It's a symbol. It's a metaphor of God's connection and God's intimacy with the nation of Israel. And so as they drink this bitter water, then it was a, a test of their unfaithfulness that resulted in death. Again, we see one-third. One plus three is the fulfillment of God's plan. God's objective is to scatter the nation of Israel, to take away their unity. They no longer are in control of their nation. Even though technically Rome ruled over them, they still had autonomy, but they no longer have that. All of these governors and tetrarchs are, are, are changing and leaving and persecuting them. The general Titus is coming and laying siege to the capital city, killing hundreds of thousands of people. The people inside the city are dying of starvation, which we've already seen. And now, even after the destruction of Jerusalem, the people are going to flee throughout the Roman Empire and come into what we now call the diaspora or the diaspora, depending on how you want to say it. From the moment Israel is destroyed, at this point, the, the Israelites will never be unified as a people in the same way again. Now, yes, right now in our current day, Israel is a nation, but the people of Israel still live all over the world. The, the Jewish people are still scattered around the world. And if you were to go to, and you've probably heard me say this before, but if you were to go to the end of the Jewish Passover Seder, they close that with a prayer next year in Jerusalem where they long 
to be restored as a people back to the city of Jerusalem. All right, we've got time for another trumpet. Let's keep going. We've covered three. Let's look at the fourth one. Then the fourth angel blew his trumpet, and one-third of the sun was struck, one-third of the moon, and one-third of the stars, and they became dark. And one-third of the day was dark, and also one-third of the night. Now, we see two connections we have to recognize. The first is we see changes in the heavens. When we see changes in the heavens, that tells us, once again, there will be changes in authorities. And we've seen how that star falling from the sky is a connection to the loss of leadership in Israel. There's no longer a tetrarch, no longer a king. You know, you had king... Herod, you know, and then all of the, the tetrarchs like Pilate, all of them, there's no longer anything there. Israel, the region of Judea, is under military occupation. Titus is in charge. We no longer have a governor or a leader of the people. You know, at least Herod was, you know, was a Jew. He was king of the Jews. You know, he was allowed to rule and reign. At least people like Pontius Pilate were in favor of working with the Jewish people. And, and working with their religious leaders. Now, yes, they did it to line their pockets with money, but they also did it so they would have peace and safety and their career would blossom. So we see, again, more changing of the heavens, which means the rulers and principalities of the world are changing. But now we see darkness. A third of the, a third of the sun, a third of the moon, a third of the stars become dark, and a third of the day and a third of the night become dark. When we see darkness, it's a connection back to, once again, to the plagues of Egypt. That darkness was so thick that people couldn't, even during the daytime, could not see their hand in front of their face during the, the, the plagues that resulted in the Exodus. But unlike the previous ones, now we don't see stars falling, we just see them struck. And so what we're seeing is the leadership of Rome. Rome is not dying, but its leadership is changing around. We see during this time period, during the period of the Jewish revolt and the, the siege of Jerusalem, Nero dies in 68 AD before the destruction of Israel. So even though Nero started and approved of what General Titus did, we would now see a massive turnover quickly in emperors. After Nero's reign, there are, this is called the year of the four emperors. After Nero, there's Galba. He reigns for less than a year. Uh, then Otho was on, on the, the throne for three months. Vitellus was on there for eight months. So, so we see um, that, that all of these you know, emperors turn over very quickly. And so this time period we're looking at, we're seeing a massive change and a massive amount of unrest for, you know, even in America, a president gets a four-year term and it takes years for their um, policies and procedures to take shape. It has been said by political scientists that it takes, you know, uh, three to four years for many of a president's um, decisions to be played out on a national scale, which is why many times a, a president can be said to be riding the coattails of the successes of their predecessor. And so, you know, I'm not here to talk, you know, politics with you, but I do want you to see how, you know, it, this turnover, man, it made a massive amount of change for the nation, uh, the empire of Rome and Israel. So we see this darkness. And so this darkness is different. It's not total darkness. It's only a third, but this represents once again, 
the completion of God's plan. This rapid change in leadership was used by God to protect, preserve, and promote the church. And so as we see this, it, this, this turnover in emperors actually ends up taking the persecution focus off of the church and putting it on other areas. Nero's intense focus on Christians was softened. All right, we've got a few minutes left. Let's see if we can do the next couple of verses. In verse 13, Then I looked, and I heard a single eagle crying loudly as it flew through the air, Terror, terror, terror to all who belong to this world, because of what will happen when the last three angels blow their trumpets. Now, this is once again a symbolism. I've heard people that say that this eagle is the bald eagle. It represents the United States of America. It, they, that wasn't even on the scene for, for you know, we're, we're talking about 70 A.D. here. For 1,700 years, the United States would not be a nation. This is referring to eagle. The eagle was the, the symbol of the Roman Empire. It was on their banners. It was on their, you know, on the top of, of their, um, you know, the, the poles they carried into battle. It was the, the standard of the Roman military had an eagle on top of the staff. And so this represented Rome. Rome's symbol was the eagle. That's part of why the United States took it, because the United States copied so much of Roman architecture and symbolism. And so this is the symbol of the Roman authority and military. And the Roman eagle is saying terror to those that are on the world. And so as we see this, it says it terror three times. Three is the number of, of um, community. And so we're seeing that by saying this over and over again, it's a recognition that the entire community is going to be impacted. He says the whole world is going to be impacted by this terror, not just locally. Now, this isn't the, the globe, right? This isn't the entire planet. It's the earth as the writer knew it. So the Roman Empire is going to be shaken. And so as we look at this, we see how God is continuing to impact not just Israel, but the world to scatter his people. So as we wrap up this chapter, we've got about one more minute. Let's do another couple of verses into chapter 9, and we'll see how far we can get. Then the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. When he opened it, Smoke poured out as from a huge furnace, and sun, the sunlight and air turned dark from the smoke. As yet another reminder, this is meant to show how God is going to scatter the people of Israel. So a star fallen from the heavens that opens the bottomless pit. This is an authority that has fallen that is now going to open up hell. This is not Satan. A lot of people want to say it is, but it's not. And so as we continue in this in our next time, we're going to see who is this being that opens the bottomless pit and how is this going to be used to scatter the Israelites. So as we finish our time together, man, I hope this is helping you. I hope you're seeing what these symbols represent, what God is doing on the earth at the time of the writer, and the um, ability to truly understand what is happening, how it can impact us today. So I hope this is helping. I hope this is encouraging you. Until our next time, man, I pray that this blesses your life and that we continue to use this time to honor God. So hey, be blessed. Until next time.
Thank you for joining us for this episode. We pray that God uses it to inform your mind, improve your life, and ignite your heart with a renewed passion to impact others for the kingdom of God. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast so that you can continue along with us on this journey of restoration living.